Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dental Practice Heroes podcast. I am your host, Dr. Paul Etchison, and we're here on Monday, February 5th, 2024. Are you used to signing 2024 yet? I finally, I think I've turned the corner where it's 2024 officially for me. I hope you guys are all doing well. I am recovering from another hernia surgery. I just had one last year because apparently I'm like some power lifter where I'm deadlifting 120 pounds. My abdomen wall can't withstand that kind of pressure for 120 pound deadlifts or squats. So yeah, (laughs) I had to get another surgery, which really stinks, but I guess I got to take better care of it. I guess I'm just not as young as I used to be. I got to, I can't lift like that anymore, even though that doesn't seem like a lot of weight at all. Anyway, but yeah, I'm off and I've been off this past week since I had my surgery. I'm feeling good. I still got another maybe week and a half off before I have to go back to work. It's been nice because I actually got to sit down and do some nothing. I've been actually playing Super Mario Brothers Wonder on Nintendo Switch, which is like awesome. Like I, I can't remember the last time I've been like this into a video game. It's like the old school Super Mario Brothers, like the two dimensional one, like left to right. It just says something about classics, man. It's just a new version of a classic, I guess. And it, it just works well. It's a really great game. And as usual, I've been reading and I've read two really good books recently, one of which is called Captivate by Vanessa Van Edwards. And the other one was called Six Conversations by Heather Holliman. I would recommend you read both of these. Captivate focuses on how you can hack communication to become more well-liked, more charismatic, more respected, more trusted, which are things that we can use at work. And Six Conversations focuses on how to have deep and meaningful conversations, which, let's face it, sometimes that's lost this day and age. We don't have as many conversations as we used to. We're not as social as we used to be face-to-face. So it's a really great book, and it had a lot of eye-openers for me. So I want to talk about something today. I remember back when I was an associate. Now, when I got out of school, this was 2009. And I always felt like I spoke very confidently. Like I loved this idea of playing doctor. I loved going into the room and finding out what the patient's ailments were, what they needed, and then telling them all about it and how we're going to do it. And I just remember that being such a rewarding experience for me when I first graduated. And I'd get really excited if somebody like just needed more than one crown. I mean, if they needed three or four, I was like, oh man, this is going to be awesome because I was just so into doing dentistry and it was just so awesome when people needed a lot of dental work and you could help them and stuff. So I started noticing as I started doing more and more of these new patient exams and seeing more patients is that whenever somebody needed a lot of restorative work, and I'm talking about like a lot of restorative work back then for me, like I'm talking about two, three crowns, like that's not a lot of restorative work to me anymore, but back then it was. But whenever they needed anything like that, they wouldn't often say yes. They wouldn't get it done. And I was always like, huh, what the heck happened? Like, why didn't they say yes? Why can't I close a case that's anything more than $2,000? And it became this thing where I started trying to overexplain. I started trying to like, can I educate them more? Can I do this more? Can I show them more visuals? Maybe they're not understanding it. And then I had this one patient and his name was Frank. And I remember him very much. And He's just a cool guy. We hit it off. We talked for like maybe 15, 20 minutes, just about random things that we had in common. And then we started talking about what he needed. Now he had a lot of broken teeth. Like I'm talking like a lot for me, like he needed eight crowns. And when I presented these to him, I walked out of that room. I was like, gosh, I really liked that guy. 
and he scheduled them and he got all of them done. So why did he schedule his treatment when so many of the other ones I saw, I never saw again? At the time, I was like, oh, well, it's money. Frank, he has money. He must just have a good job or something like that. But then I remember I learned a really big lesson from Dr. Bruce Baird. And that's when you go into a new patient exam, if you want the patient to say yes to treatment, then you have to build rapport with them before you start talking about dentistry. Now, this seems simple enough, right? Almost too simple. And I'm going to say the disclaimer for all like the Facebook trolls. I am talking about ethical treatment planning. I'm not talking about making stuff up to make money. I'm talking about getting our patients healthy the right way. But I want you to just, just sit there right now and think about some cases where you walked out of the consultation like, damn, I just nailed that one. There's no way they are not getting that treatment done. Can you come up with like one or two that you're thinking about right now? Are you, you got them in your mind? How was your rapport with that patient? Did it come easy? I bet it did. And it's nice when that rapport comes easy, when we just hit it off with a patient and we were getting along. But a lot of the time, it really doesn't. So how do we hack our new patient exams to build rapport? And I want to use two examples from the books that I mentioned earlier. Think about how fast you make a judgment on somebody. Now, if you've ever read the book Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, this is discussed quite a bit in this book. It just happens in an instant. Impressions, they are formed instantly. Now, a study mentioned in the book Captivate, it explains how researchers let random strangers watch 30-second clips of college professors just talking in their classroom. Now, they watched clips without any sound. They couldn't hear anything. It was all nonverbals. It was all how do they carry themselves, how do they speak, things like that. They didn't hear what they were actually saying. And then they had them rate these college professors on like factors such as like likability, trust, confidence, things like that. Now, they also gave these same questionnaires to the students that actually spent an entire semester with the professors, and they compared the answers to see, was there any correlation? And what they found is that they were very similar, that they had the same perceptions and they made the same conclusions about this person's likability, trust, and all these things. The students that spent the whole entire semester with the professor, as well as the strangers that only saw a 30-second clip with no sound on. So... Then they went back and they did this again and they did it with 15 second clips and then they did it with five second clips and they got the same results. So that just goes to show you how powerful nonverbals are. So how do we hack our nonverbals? Now we can do this. It's only a new patient exam. If this doesn't come easy to us, we can fake it, right? We can pull this off, guys. I believe in you. So in the book Captivate, Vanessa Van Edwards talks about the triple threat and the three things are posture, eye contact, and hands. So posture. Can we walk into a room? Can we stand tall? Can we smile and introduce ourselves and then sit in an open position in front, not to the side, in front of the patient? That shouldn't be that hard. And by open position, I mean not, like not crossing your hands, like they're not crossing your arms, sitting up straight, kind of taking up space to some extent, I guess. What about eye contact? Can we look the patient directly in the eye when they're speaking? I mean, is that that hard to do? Can we make sure that we're not looking down at our chart or our router sheet? Yeah, we can probably pull that off. Can we look them in the eyes when we introduce ourselves and smile and say, hi, I'm Dr. Edgerson. Hi, I'm Paul. Nice to meet you. Something like that. We can pull that off. We can do this, guys. And then what about hands? What does she mean by hands? Can we make sure that our hands are exposed and not in our pockets 
and not writing things down on a router sheet or clipboard. And this is one, when I read this, I said, oh my gosh, I struggle with this. Sometimes I feel like Ricky Bobby from that movie Talladega Nights where he keeps putting his hands up. He's like, I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't know what to do with my hands. Sometimes I don't know what to do with my hands. Can you relate to that? This made me realize that I often hold like the clipboard where we keep the patient's router and I will write things on there as they're speaking. I'll look down, I'll start writing, but I never reference what I wrote. I never go back and look at it. It's more of just like this nervous, like this crutch for me, something to hold on to because I don't know what to do with my hands. So when I go back to work, I'm going to make sure that I don't do that anymore because it's important to have your hands exposed and it's important to be gesturing. That's another thing that came from the book. It talked about TED Talks and the difference between really good TED Talks and just okay TED Talks. And a lot of times it was the speaker's hand gestures. Hand gestures are good. So we want to use hand gestures. That portrays confidence. That gets the patient to trust us. So these were all just little hacks. Those are just three things you can use right away today on Monday with your patients. And then what about building that rapport? And this is where that other book comes in, The Six Conversations by Heather Holloman. This book talks about asking questions, listening deeply on a deep level listening, and then sharing things about yourself and then asking more questions to get people to connect on a deeper level. And it just gives a lot of prompts and a lot of questions to ask and a lot of different categories of questions that you can try with patients. But the ultimate thing is, is that we just need to ask questions. We get to know our patients, share things about ourselves and find a level to connect on. And just spend a few minutes doing that before we ask, what brought you in today? Or what can I do for you? Or whatever your opening line is for when you're doing a new patient exam. So when we look at all the skills that we learn in dentistry, we want our patients to be healthy. I assure you doing these things that I just talked about will get more of your patients healthy than going to take that full mouth rehab course, right? Because these are the things that get patients to say yes. They trust you. They believe in your recommendations. They believe in your skills. They believe in your competence. And that comes from these nonverbal things that we're doing. It's the way we carry ourselves and it's the way that we treat people. It's not about how smart we are. It's not about the visual aids that we show. It's about things like this. So give that a try. See if that makes a difference for you. If you've never tried to really spend some time getting to know your patients, try it out. And this is one of those things that if you go in there, you do the posture, you do the eye contact, you do the hand thing, and you ask questions and build rapport, you should be able to tell pretty immediately if it made a difference. And I think you're going to have that same experience that I had when I was working, when I had that patient named Frank. I walked out of that room, I said, man, I nailed that, and he signed up for everything. So thank you everybody so much for listening. Next week, we got a great interview with Dr. Rob Ritter And we're going to talk about all things practice management and creating the practice you desire. It was a really great interview, so you don't want to miss that. Everybody, have a great week.
Your practice is pretty good, but you know it could be better, right? What if you had all the systems necessary, had the buy-in from your team, and had the leadership and management structure so you didn't have to shoulder all the practice management yourself? I am so excited to announce that my new seven-phase coaching program is designed to do just that. My leadership team and I take you and select members of your office through seven phases of systematizing, training your team on all the systems, getting every system documented, and most of all, teaching your team how to help you manage and grow your practice. By combining online instruction, sample documents, worksheets, exercises, we present you and your team over 35 hours of training in nine different curriculum tracks based on the position in the office, and best yet, we coach you through it. At the end of the 10-month program, you have a fully systematized practice with a new leadership structure in place and your practice will run smoother than it ever has. This program is special because we get the team involved and change the way your practice gets things done. Go to dentalpracticeheroes.com, check out the OmniPractice Total Team Success Program. We offer one-on-one coaching as well as group coaching options, not to mention a la carte mini courses. We just finished our first batch of offices and we are starting a new 10-month group program in August. We're only taking 12 offices, so if you want to get in on that, better get in on it. There's just way too much to explain in a small commercial, so go to the website to learn more about the OmniPractice Program, dentalpracticeheroes.com.